while we're waiting for them to go, to, to leave, um, these arrangements on the outside were left to us from uh, the, the funeral service that we had the meal for yesterday, uh, Gaylene McDowell's. So they wanted to share those with us. Would you please take your copy of God's Word? And again, I trust that you have that with you today. Hope you always carry it with you. And we're going to go to, uh, we're next in line here to deal with Matthew 3, 13 to 17. Matthew chapter 3, 13 to 17. This is about Jesus Christ getting baptized. Now, I want you to understand that that causes people problems, okay? Because people know, look, John is out in the wilderness and he is baptizing people who want to be repentant of their sins, and they want to show that publicly. So these people are repenting of their sins. They're showing that publicly. They go to John. We call him the baptizer because that's what he's doing. And Jesus shows up, and John kind of scratches his head and said, well, what, what are you doing here? And Jesus says, I want to be baptized. And John says, uh, if anybody needs baptized, it's me by you, not you. And Jesus said, well, permit it this time. Let me, let me do this so that you and I can fulfill the promises of Scripture. Now, that didn't actually tell us, you know, all the theological things we want to know about why Jesus went to be baptized when he's surrounded by sinners being baptized. And I want us to see that this is something about the ministry of Jesus Christ. Why is he here? What is he doing? And why would he have this baptism? It has a lot to do with the illustration of uh, Father Damien that we talked about this morning in terms of what they both did to reach people. John is baptizing people who are sorry for their sin. They are saying to God, I repent of my sin. I've been a sinner. I'm sorry for being a sinner. And I want to show that I'm serious about that. So I'm going to find John out in the wilderness and he's baptizing people. And I want him to baptize me. So people were going out, even the religious leaders. And John wanted to know, and he said to them, uh, who, who warns you snakes to come out here and repent and be baptized? Right? He says, why don't you start doing what, what a person of faith should do in your life? And so I'm sure that some of them went ahead with it, and they were probably baptized too. What John was doing was preparing the way for Jesus. Somebody who knew the truth, somebody who was going to speak the truth, had to go to the children of Israel and tell them the truth instead of what they'd been getting at the temple and at the synagogues all throughout the country uh, was not exactly the truth. There are people that were told the Messiah is coming. God told them when he was coming. God told him this is what he's going to be like when he gets here. I want you to recognize him. And God saw they're not going to do that. They're not going to recognize the Savior. They, they haven't been hearing the truth. So he sends John into the mix, and he says, I want you to prepare the way for my son. Get them thinking about their sins. Get them thinking about uh, repentance, because if they're going to become a child of mine, they're going to have to repent of their sins, and they're going to have to love me through Jesus Christ, my son. So John's out there preparing the way. He's telling people, you need repentance. There's a reason they're going outside in the wilderness. John is trying to say something by being in the wilderness and not somewhere in town where he's baptizing people because the truth isn't in town anymore. You go outside to a man of God outside of town and you learn the truth. And that, that guy's name was John. He's preparing the way for Messiah. And he is coming so that hearts would be receptive and ready to accept Jesus Christ. So what is Jesus doing coming to be baptized by John? So one day, Jesus shows up at the water's edge, and he says, I want to be baptized. 
And John is saying, well, okay, I know what my baptism's about, and that's not about you. This is about people repenting of sin, and you're not a sinner. I believe John knew that very well. It's a fair question and one that needs to be explored because in liberal theology, some people think, well, Jesus got baptized because he really wasn't the son of God until his baptism, and now he's starting his ministry and he becomes the son of God, and he's getting baptized because he had sinned before. Now, that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what, what the Bible says about Jesus. He is not a sinner, so it can't be that. But if you run into people and they don't understand why Jesus would get baptized, I want you to be able to show them this is why he got baptized and this is what it means. So that's what we're going over here this morning. So John didn't really understand what was going on there, but at Jesus' bidding, all right, I want you to understand that, John didn't understand. But at the bidding of Jesus, at the command of Jesus, let's, let's go ahead and do this, he was ready to go ahead and, and baptize him, so he did. You know, there is so much more to Jesus than I think we understand, and there is so much more to Jesus that we really don't know because we were not told. And uh, I want you to look at uh, Luke 24 in this regard. Most of the Gospels focus on the, the week uh, leading up to and the week of the passion of Jesus Christ. There's a lot that we are not told, like about his childhood and those kinds of things. In Luke chapter 24 and verses 25 down to verse 27, it says this, and he said to them, so he's walking with some guys that are on a journey, and they're telling him about this, this, uh, this teacher that they followed, and he, got, he, was, he was killed, but some people were saying, hey, he's risen from the dead, and so they're discussing all this. Jesus joins himself to these two disciples, and he said to them, O oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary, which is Jesus' way of saying rhetorically, it was necessary for the Messiah, the Christ, to suffer these things and enter into his glory? He, he thinks they should know this. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. We don't know that. We don't know every single passage that's specifically about Jesus because Jesus didn't tell us that, and neither did the apostles. There's all kinds of things in the Old Testament that we think point to Jesus Christ, but that was never pointed out to us in the, in the New Testament. It's just full of Jesus Christ from Genesis all the way to the end of Malachi. And the reason we say that is because why we study the Old Testament is because Jesus is everywhere in it. The Old Testament is for the New Testament church, so we don't just spend all of our time in the New Testament, or we'd miss Jesus in very many places. I want you to also look in John at the very last verse, the very last chapter. So John 21, 25. John makes this incredible statement about his gospel, and he says this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. We have, we have a New Testament that, you know, according to, you know, the Old Testament is really not that thick, and mine here includes a concordance in maps. It doesn't have that. That's not much. And John says, if you were, if you were to write everything down, I suppose the books that would be written, all right, the world could not contain. 
Now, I'm, I'm out of room in my library, my own office. You know, I'm stuffing stuff places where books weren't meant to be, but I'm out of room. I can't imagine a whole world, you know, all the, all the world libraries having so much they can't contain what Jesus did. What on earth did he do? We're not told everything. There's many things about Jesus we don't know. And I'm making that point because there's so much more about Jesus than what has been revealed to us. And someday we're going to get to know what all those things are when we get to glory, and that'll be a wonderful day. Jesus walks right out of the Old Testament text, is what I'm saying, into Israel and presented himself as Yahweh God, the Lord, and as Messiah, and they rejected him. What have you done with him? Have you followed him in baptism? Have you followed him and obeyed his command even for that issue? What about all the other stuff that he wants from us? Well, I want to read the text now, 13 to 17, about the baptism of Jesus, and then we're going to get, get further into it. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. So this is a time when John was at the Jordan. He was baptizing there. But John tried to prevent him. Can you imagine trying to stop the Lord from doing something you didn't think you ought to do? <laughs> wait, wait a minute, I'm not going to baptize you. Why, why would you ask that? It doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. All right, uh, he, he said to him, Lord, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? In other words, this just doesn't make sense. It's backwards. But Jesus answering him said, Permit it this time. For in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. Boy, don't we wish Jesus would have taken a little time, and maybe he did and we don't have it, to explain, Lord, what do you mean by fulfilling all righteousness? What does that mean? Where in the Old Testament does it say that you would be baptized? Where in the Old Testament did it have this part of your ministry, and, and why did you do it? Well, all he leaves us with is whatever he's doing is to fulfill righteousness, and Jesus was always about that in his life. After being baptized, so John did it, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw, and there's debate in the text here because of the way the Greek text stands, it could be that Jesus saw the Spirit descending or that John saw the Spirit descending on him. So if you have a good study Bible, it's going to make a note to that. This could be a capital H on this he and not, not a small h. So it's either John seeing the Spirit descend or Jesus seeing the Spirit descend, and it's not clear. But anyway, the Spirit descended. And the Spirit of God descended as a dove. Does that mean he looked like a dove? Or does that mean he came down like a dove would come down in its flight? All right, and lighting on him. And behold, so that behold says, here's something God's doing, pay attention. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said. So they heard this audible voice out of the heavens when Jesus was baptized. And it said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay, that's an authentication. That's God in heaven saying, this is my son. This is the Savior of the world. This is the Messiah, the Christ. And so he has the witness of God in heaven about who he really is. Now, I don't think Jesus became God at that point. He's been God since the inception in his mother's womb. He was fully God, and now he takes on full human flesh, and now he's 100% God and 100% human flesh in one. 
two natures in one person. And he was, he's always been God. The thing he put on was humanity. And that's what that was new when he was born. But he didn't put on godhood. He's always had that. So uh, we learn in verses 13 to 15 that Jesus comes to fulfill righteousness and, this is important, identify with sinners and identify with sinners. Now, a man by the name of Craig Blomberg, one of the commentators that I'm using on this book of Matthew, said this. I thought it was worth you hearing. He says this, to fulfill all righteousness, that phrase in the text, means to complete everything that forms part of a relationship of obedience to God. In so doing, Jesus identifies with and, and identifies with and endorses John's ministry as divinely ordained and his message as one to be listened to or heeded. I really wasn't looking at Jesus' baptism that way or what was going on, but I think that's good for uh, Dr. Blomberg to bring up to us. Not only is Jesus authenticating his ministry and moving into a position of, his, uh, of being the savior of the world, but he also is saying the savior came to John to be baptized by John, and, and if he is the savior, and he is, then what does that say about this ministry of John? Well, it's the real thing. It is authenticated from heaven, otherwise Jesus wouldn't be there. So you know what you need to do? You need to listen to John, you need to repent of your sins, and you need to show that now by the way you live, and first thing you do is you get baptized, and then that's how you go on. Well, this scene is that Jesus travels from Galilee, so up north, uh, to the Jordan where John was carrying out his baptism for repentance in the ministry. Thank God that we don't know exactly where on the Jordan he was. Because every tour to Israel would be fighting for that spot. And uh, that's not what he has in mind. According to Luke 23.23, you know what? I made this so I uh, have more scripture to look up and and not as long a sermon. doesn't mean you're going to get out earlier. Uh, But uh, I wanted to look this stuff up. So Luke 3.23 answers the question, how old was Jesus when he began his ministry? 23 of Luke 3 says, when Jesus began his ministry, Jesus, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. <clears throat> and then Luke goes into the genealogy, the proof that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham and of David. But the point is, he's starting his ministry, he's about 30 years old. So uh, this is the beginning of his public ministry. Now, if you were God in heaven, and you're not, and I'm not, but if we were God in heaven, and we wanted to find a way to inaugurate the ministry of our son on planet Earth, we would be thinking, what could I do to inaugurate, to begin, to say, this is the beginning of my son's ministry. And God said, what I will do is I will send him to John the Baptist, where he will get baptized, not because he's a sinner, because he's not, never has been, but because I want him to identify with the people that he's going to save. I want him to identify with their problem. I want him to be one of them. And I want something to happen at the beginning of his ministry where I can put my stamp of approval on him in a public way, and God chose baptism. And we need to accept that. And that's a good enough reason to do what he did. 
His stated purpose here is to have John baptize him in water. There are three kinds of baptism that we're concerned with here because we want to know what they are. There's John's baptism of the repentant, which we've been talking about. There's the baptism of Jesus that we've also been talking about. Why is he doing this? Later, there's Christian baptism, uh, where, you know, that's why we uh, built this, this uh, baptismal up here. I almost called it the tub, but it's, it's, it's much more holy than that. It's a baptismal font. And that's where people say, I want to show the world that I belong to Jesus. We know that this water doesn't save you. It doesn't get you into heaven. We know that you're dunked under there to illustrate your death and then your resurrection and that you belong to Jesus Christ. So physically, you're showing people what happened to you spiritually. Oh, by the way, what happened to you spiritually? You were also baptized spiritually. So there's now four baptisms, right? And then spirit baptism happens when you trust Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. It is not the Holy Spirit's baptism. Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. John said that's what he's going to do. The one who comes after me will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It's always been his ministry, and that's a spiritual thing. You can't see that. Now, I know there's places that teach, yeah, you see that by people speaking in tongues and stuff, and they make it a second act of grace. As far as I can tell, that's not what the Bible teaches. You're, you're, you get that baptism the, the instant you trust Christ as your Savior, and we call that spirit baptism, or you're baptized in the Spirit. So these are the ones that the Bible presents to us. In verse 14a, John tried to prevent Jesus from being baptized. This is telling. Why did John want to stop Jesus from doing this? Well, number one, it has to be that it's a clear indication that John knew what his baptism was about. God sent me to preach to people that they need to repent. If they repent, I'm going to baptize them. And then I want them to lead a life that follows what repentant people do. Repentant people don't go out and live their own life. They live a life uh, for God. So John's clear about that. And Jesus has no need of being baptized for repentance. Jesus never did anything wrong from his conception in the womb. Uh, up to this point in, in, the is, in this issue ahead of us with baptism. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul teaches the Corinthian church. He, in verse 21, that is God. God made him who knew no sin. God made Jesus who knew no sin. Remember what the word know means in, in the New Testament? Somebody that has an intimate relationship with someone uh, is used to describe the sex act between a husband and wife. It's used to describe closeness between people well, without that act. The point is to know means to be intimately acquainted with. Jesus had no experience with sin. He had no intimate acquaintance with sin. There was no sin in him. He had no knowledge of that in terms of personal knowledge. He knew all about sin, but not personally. Jesus never had sin. But God took him and made him to be sin in our place, on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he took the sinless one and made him carry our sins, none of his, he had none, on the cross. Hebrews uh, chapter 4 and verse 15. Hebrews 4, 15. 
He says, for we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. There's lots of other places we could go, and we remember the Bible is very clear. Jesus had no sin of his own. If there was any sin in Jesus, it was when God put ours in him on the cross. So there must not be a reason for what he was doing by submitting to John's baptism. John can't figure it out. John would rather be baptized by Jesus than Jesus be baptized by him. In fact, he says, that's, that's what I want to do. Here John recognizes that Jesus is greater than he is. Who, he is the one who takes away the sin of the world, and John knows that, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, uh, uh, John the Apostle says of him, this is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. John knew that theology. He understood that about Jesus. Later on, he's going to get a little bit confused about eschatology, and he's going to send some people to say to Jesus, Look, Jesus, I'm in prison. I'm having some problems here. This is not the way I thought the kingdom would go. Did I miss something? Is there someone else that needs to come, or are you the guy? And you need to understand that John is facing losing his life. He may not even know it yet, but he's in prison. This is not what he expected. He expected the Messiah, Jesus, to set up a kingdom. And it hasn't been set up, and he's in prison. What's he doing in prison? He should be out. Well, he didn't understand what was going on. Jesus did a lot of healing and miracles, and he sent them back and said, Tell John, I am fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah said Messiah would fulfill. And obviously, uh, the text doesn't say anything about John's response, but he accepted that. You know, it's kind of like the trouble we have wondering uh, what he is doing as well. Why did he get baptized? Is it possible that Jesus could step into this situation with a different goal in mind than what John has? Yes, it has to be that way. His, his goal was not to be baptized for repenting of sin. Is it possible that Jesus wanted to be identified with people who were confessing their sins uh, where they were doing it? Yes, that also is possible. He wants, Jesus wants you to know, I'm in this with you guys. And he shows up where they're taking care of their sins, and he identifies with the fact that there's, they're, they're taking care of their sins with faith in God, and he wants them to know, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of what's going to happen to take away sins. You don't understand everything he's saying right now. You don't understand what he's doing, but I'm part of this. So when you look at the ministry of Jesus that started at age 30, he begins with his baptism where the Spirit of God comes on him and he, he came down out of heaven like a dove would come down and indwells the Lord. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But this then was when heaven was opened up and everybody heard the voice, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He has the stamp of approval on the fa of the Father on his life. And this begins his ministry. What ends his ministry? His death on the cross and his resurrection. So if you will, if I had a library shelf, I'd put one book in here, which is the baptism, and the other book in here, which is death, burial, resurrection. And he wants everybody to know this is the ministry I came for. And this is how it's going to start. So God starts it that way. It would kind of be like a medical, let's say a medical missionary doctor going to a foreign village to care for sick people that no one else will care for because their, their sickness is, is highly contagious and the chances that he or she won't get it are nil. And uh, they go there in full health 
And that would show a humbling and an identification with those folks. They're in the midst of their sickness. He or she is not sick, but they show up, and they're well, and they're identifying with these people because they stayed there, they worked with them, they healed them, they cared for them, they loved them, and what else? Well, then the doctor ends up getting that, that disease and dies himself. By the way, that's happened a number of times in real life in history where people did that. It especially happened with Jesus. Except some of those people that were sick didn't realize it would cost me an eternity in hell if I didn't get rid of this sickness. Some of them looked like they were doing okay, but Jesus knew they were sinners. Jesus had a different purpose for coming to John's baptism. It was a purpose assigned by the Father, and he's going to do everything the Father said. This is how we're going to begin your ministry. So Jesus began it that way. Jesus tells John in verse 15, permit it this time. Now it's up to John to obey doesn't make sense to John, but here Jesus is, and he says, baptize me. And he says, well, Lord, I, maybe you ought to baptize me. He says, no, permit this this time. And so John does. And sometimes in our life, that issue comes up as well. Where God in the Bible is telling us to do something. He says, do this. And then we have to make up our mind, are we going to obey him and fulfill righteousness? Or are we going to disobey him? and not fulfill righteousness. Well, John tells Jesus uh, why it must be done, the fulfilling of righteousness. And I believe that means uh, that, is the, that is the Father who has decreed this for the Son to do. So the Son is going to do it. It is righteous that Jesus obey his Father. And Jesus, Jesus obeyed his Father every day of his life. John eight twenty eight says that whatever the Father said, Jesus did. Whatever Jesus is told by the Father, Jesus did it. No questions asked. Another commentator, also named Craig, but Craig Keener says this about the baptism. In a traditional Mediterranean culture where society stressed honor and shame, Jesus relinquishes his right, to rightful honor to embrace others, us, in other words, others' shame. After Jesus' public act of humility, so the baptism he's saying, that's an act of humility. God publicly honors Jesus as his own son. That is, as the mightier one who is coming to bestow the spirit John had prophesied. In obedience, John baptizes Jesus. And then in the final section here in 16 through 17, we learn that Jesus was empowered, which is misspelled in your notes, that should be E, empowered, by the spirit and commissioned and authenticated by the Father. Jesus, we learn in Luke, was praying at the baptism. So Luke 3, 21. Luke 3, 21. Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying... Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And uh, that would lead credence to people who think he looked like a dove when he came down. And a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Well, uh, that leads us to understand this. Everything that Jesus did in his ministry was done by the power of the Spirit of God, who indwelled him. Jesus chose 
to work that way, to trust in the power of the Spirit. Matthew 12, 28 says this to, to Jesus' enemies, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus gave the Spirit credit for being the power by which he uh, got rid of uh, demons, and he gives the, the Spirit credit other places as well. This is a confirmation of the prophecies about Jesus as the Messiah, that he would receive uh, the Spirit. So now I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 11 first, Isaiah 11, verse 2. The Spirit of Yahweh will rest on him, a prophetic message about Jesus, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah doesn't leave us with just one reference on that, but back in chapter 42 and verse 1, it says, Behold my servant, that's Jesus, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nation. All right. Just want to make a note here, by the way, the spirit that gave Jesus the power to do his ministry, that's the same spirit he gave you when you trusted Christ as your savior. The, the same spirit. I'm not sure I understand. Oh, no. You're the only one who doesn't understand. Sorry, I knew better than to wear that. I just thought. Siri's a pagan. And she doesn't, she doesn't understand. I keep thinking that hanging around with me and studying that she might come to know Jesus, but she hasn't. That's the same spirit, and I hope you understand that, that he's there to help you. It's why Jesus could say to his disciples what he said to them in John chapter 14. And this bears some thinking about maybe uh, today while you're, sitting around the table in John 14, 12. Jesus said to his disciples, I was about to read out of Acts. That wouldn't have helped us at all. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to his, his disciples, his followers. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these, he will do. Because I go to the Father. Then he tells him, whatever you ask my name, I'll give it you. You and I have everything we need to serve the Lord and have impact on his kingdom. By faith, we need to use the power of the indwelling spirit of God. Nothing in our life is going to work without faith. God gave us that gift. We need to use it. There is debate as to whether the Spirit came down as a dove or descended in flight as a dove. You know, I don't know that really matters. And that last thing we read about that seems pretty clear, bodily form as a dove, uh, but that also has problems. I don't know which it was. It doesn't matter whether the Spirit looked like a dove, except that would, if he did, that would make a lot of cards that we send to people about the Spirit of God in the form of a dove make sense. I'm not so sure he did that. What matters is that the Spirit of God came on Jesus. The word behold is a literary marker here, drawing our attention to what God is doing 
uh, and it is like this. Take note of this. What's happening is Jesus is baptized into his ministry. What's his ministry about? It has to do with people repenting of their sins and getting close to God. So he identifies with people and their problem on that day and what he was going to do. Jesus is baptized uh, into his ministry. There's where it begins for sinners, right? And among sinners. And he had on their flesh and he dwelled among them. These are the people he was going to die for and us. In verse 17, God the Father identified for those there that this Jesus is his beloved son. He is the son of God and Jesus pleases him. No one ever in John's day and John's baptism heard those words from heaven except Jesus. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father repeated these words, but he also added, listen to him, listen to him. Peter, James, and John heard those words. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Do what he tells you to do. In the Bible, to actually have heard God, it means you not only heard the word, but you did it. So if I say I'm listening to God, I'm saying I I hear what he says, and he he plainly writes it in his word for us. I hear it, and I'm going to do it. If you say I heard the word of God, and you knew what it said, but you didn't do it, you didn't hear it. And when God from heaven said, listen to him, he says, I want you to hear what he says and do what he says, follow him. And isn't that the whole point? Why is God doing all of this? Well, because he is leading to the place where Jesus will be our savior. Jesus bookends his ministry, we said, by identifying with humans who are sinners, the baptism, and at the other end, the cross, where he healed sinners by his own death. And this is all about the redemptive work on our behalf. He who did not have to leave heaven and show up here decided to because he loved us. See how great a love the Father had as well. All right. He who did not have to, have to love us, we deserved, we deserved hell. He didn't have to love us. He didn't have to save us, but he did. And he chose to do that. And God in the flesh humbled himself to be one of us. Have you listened to him? Have you heard him? All three members of the Godhead are here in this text, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All have a stake in our salvation. All participated in it, but Jesus gave up his life, the only one who took on human flesh. With this Jesus begins his ministry, the first thing that happens is that the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to test him. And he allows the devil to test him. And he might be tempted for 40 days. All those days Jesus fasted and he will prove he is loyal to the Father. When God sent his children of Israel into the wilderness, they proved they are not loyal to the Father. And Jesus succeeds in bringing salvation to the people where his first son Israel did not succeed in evangelizing the world. So what we're going to learn from this is number one, The baptism of Jesus is Jesus identified with us while we were still his enemies and dead in our trespasses and sin. So taking care of sins is what his ministry was all about, and that's what he did. Secondly, Jesus came to love, to heal, and forgive us. Have you taken part of that forgiveness? It's critically important that we do take part of that forgiveness. 
And I think the world is uh, upside down on this issue because people think they can be good enough to get into heaven. People think they have to work their way into heaven. They think that they have to do good things to get into heaven. And the Bible does say, do good works, do good things, do good things. But never does that mean prior to your salvation. Because you can't do good works prior to your salvation. They count for nothing. They don't count for salvation. So the simple message is, if you could save yourself, I wouldn't have had to send my son. If you could pay for your own sins, why would I take the life of my beloved son? But you can't. You can't work your way in. You can't buy your way in. You can't go to church enough to get in. You can't do good deeds to get in. And, and tragically, some of the people who gave up their lives to save other people did it so they could be good and gain merit with God. And that's not how it works. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our goodness doesn't count until after we know Jesus and we're doing good things for the right reason, not to get into heaven, but because we love the Lord and we want to serve him and we want other people to know him as well. So salvation is simply an act of you admit you're a sinner. You admit that you need God's forgiveness so you repent of your sins. That's what repentance is. And you change your mind about working your way into heaven, and now you realize I can't work my way into heaven. Jesus paid for me to do that, and that's what I'm putting everything I have into, that he paid for my sins on that cross. And if that's what you believe, if that's what you've done, then your sins are forgiven, and you will go into heaven when you die. You'll not go to hell. And then you'll be judged on the works you did in the name of the Father to find, uh, you know, your position in the kingdom, if you will, and to find your reward. But your reward of good works is never to give you eternal life. I hope you can hear that. If you've heard it, then you've made the decision. If you've never made that decision, do it now. Tomorrow may be too late. We're reminded of that by the funerary flowers that are before us today. This is where we're all headed. Make sure you're ready. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that for those of us who have done that, we understand uh, the wretchedness of our sin, the unworthiness of us as an individual, and how much that sin must be punished by you. And yet, even though every time you gave people in the Bible a chance, the children of Israel over and over again, they turned on you and they fell into sin. They used your grace for the wrong things. I pray that we can be the people who understand the grace of God, the free gift of eternal life, the, life, the, the gift without cost, through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone, gives us eternal life, washes our hearts clean of the filth of, and the stain of sin, and gives us the ability to have the righteousness of God declared on us so that when we die, there will be no condemnation of us because the text says in Romans, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then help us to remember that you want us to live as people who are redeemed and forgiven so that the world might see there's a different way to live this life. There's a way to live this life a step above what everybody else is doing. 
and that's the life of faith. Father, may you grant to us the will to ask you for the right things, to ask you to help us do the right things and make up our mind we're going to do them knowing that you're going to help us. We thank you for this message of salvation that you have given to us. In your name we pray. Amen.